Hey, so the idea for this Sunday, um, first of all, I love to bring uh, the man that we call our in-house prayer pastor, Blaine Francois, has probably more years uh, and tenure in ministry than most of our staff. He's been on staff for a long time in a church. He is one of our lay leaders here at this church. He's also one of our board members. Um, he's a father, he's a husband, and he represents everything that, that we all aspire to be as men. And I want to bring him in to have part of that conversation. I also had planned this weekend um, in honor of Juneteenth, which was yesterday, June 19th, which is supposed to be a celebration of the emancipation for all of those who were in bondage in this nation. And June 19th is the day that we celebrate that Galveston, Texas actually launched and recognized what Abraham Lincoln had already proclaimed through the Emancipation Proclamation, which is the day that this nation began the process. This nation began the process of being delivered from the sin of slavery in this country. So I had Pastor Melvin Stringfield, that is Pastor Letitia's brother, he's on staff at Glide Tidings. I had him lined up to come and sit with us this Sunday and share some of his story as a father, as a husband, as a man, uh, as a, a black man, but he wasn't able to be here. He, he contracted a virus early and early in the week and uh, was not able to, to get over it to the point where he felt healthy enough to be here. So we miss him, and we've been praying for him. Um, but the idea this Sunday, nonetheless, is really to hone in as men and women of God, ladies don't tune out on us, on this idea of the fact that we all have one Savior. Okay. In fact, Paul writing to the church of Ephesus, who, by the way, had a lot of the same problems that we have in our society today. He writes in Ephesians chapter 2, a very familiar passage or text, verses 8 through 10, uh, 8, 9, and 10. It starts out, for it is by grace that we have saved been saved through faith, continues to show that it's not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. Then verse 10 says this, for we are God's masterpiece. I, I want you to notice that Paul doesn't designate skin tone, the presence or the absence of melanin in this passage. He says, we, we are all God. Cajuns and North Louisianians. Come on, somebody. We are all, <laughs> well, F-R-E-Y and F-R-Y-E. Yes, thank you. We are all God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. We, we were created for a purpose. Watch this, verse 11. Let's dig a little deeper. Verse 11, Paul says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Uh, this next part is why we have children's ministry. This is not my fault. You should have taken advantage of the day. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected this part only their bodies and not their hearts. Not their hearts. They honored me with their lips, but their hearts was, were far from me, as prophet Isaiah said. Um, verse 12, in those days you were living apart from Christ, Guys, this is the real issue in this country, Amen. that people are living apart from Christ. Everything else is just 
a branch or a leaf of the root issue, which is people are living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. And that is the culture in which we live. Verse 13 says, but now, I love this, but now, and this was 2,000 years ago, how much more does it apply today? But now you have been united with Christ, which is, by the way, the only person that can bring true unity. You cannot fight for unity with people that are fighting against God. You cannot fight for unity with people who are fighting against God's word. The only way that you can experience unity is when you fight for the unity of the spirit of the only and one true God. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Listen, when we begin to let society paint narratives that affect the way that we feel about one another, we are undermining the power of Jesus and the power of his blood. When we begin to let society and political narratives affect the way that we feel about one another, we are undermining the power of the blood of Jesus Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood. Verse 14, I'm only reading two more verses. Hang in there. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles, Samaritans and Greeks, African, Asian, Latino, Caucasian. He united. Men and women in this society, women were seen as just a little bit more than property. He united all of us into one people when in his body on the cross. To those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness. But to those who believe, the cross is the power of God. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Verse 15, he did this by ending the law the system of law, its commandments, regulations. He made peace. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself, come on, one new people. All under the blood. So we should not be satisfied with segregation. We should not be satisfied with separation. We should not be satisfied with sin. In any area of our lives or our influence, by the way, because we're one new people from two groups. Verse 16, I'm going to pass it. Together as one body, which is, by the way, the only way that you can be one is together. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. I think God's going to take this one seriously. Like this is the one that Paul is promoting to the church in Ephesus. Christ reconciled both groups. And our hostility towards each other, it was put to death. Our hostility towards one another was put to death. Blaine, why is it so important? Why is it so important that we get this one savior idea with all the mantras and all the organizations and all the narratives and all the platforms and agendas that are going on in our nation right now. 
Why is this so important that we get this right? Well, I thank you, Pastor Chris, for having me. And I put my glasses on because I tried to enlarge my text where I could read it without them, and it was like one word on the screen. <laughs> the message today. No. Um, so I think the short answer of why we have, why we it's so important that we get this right. So we have to realize that it's, it's not just all about us. Um, this thing called the church, the Christianity, it's bigger than, than, than what we see around us. Uh, you know, for, for, for years, uh, Christians, uh, religion, religious groups have kind of looked around at everybody, and I'll use this example, everybody in their boat, because I'm going to talk about this story about ships in a moment, but they look at everybody in their boat and think, well, if you're not in our boat, then you're not saved. And it's bigger than that. In, in fact, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching on the seashore, and there's a large group of people that have gathered. Like a great multitude comes to hear him speak because, you know, he's Jesus, and they had heard about him. So he's there, and he's teaching. He speaks his parables one after another. And then finally, after speaking for a while, um, the Bible says that Jesus told his disciples to send the multitude away. So they tell the multitude, you know, go home, and then uh, Jesus and his disciples, he looks at them, he says, look, now let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side. So they get in the ship and they take off. But in Mark chapter 4, Mark kind of lets us in on a little snippet of information here that when Matthew wrote about this story and when Luke wrote about this story, they didn't mention. Mark says that there were other little ships that went after them, yeah. that went with them. So obviously when they sent the multitude away, mm -hmm. Many of them left, but there were some that said, there's just something about this Jesus that I can't walk away from. Yeah. And they stole a boat and figured he'd forgive them for it later, or they <laughs> borrowed a boat, or they got in their own boat. But whatever, the, whatever they did, Mark tells us there were other little ships that went after them. So they shoved off too, and they're on the sea with Jesus, and that'll mess up your theology when you think that it's just those in your boat that are being saved. No, it's, there's others in other boats. They're all in the same sea. Yeah. Come on, come on, somebody. They're following Jesus. The ones that are, you, you should have amen that a little better, but I'll, I'll forgive you for now. So here's the story. They get out in the, in, the, in, the, in the sea and watch this. Storm comes up. You know the story. Jesus is down at the bottom of the boat. Man, he found a pillow. He went to sleep. He's not worried about a thing. He's just, he's snoozing through it all. The disciples go and they wake him up and say, Jesus, you got, you've got to wake up. We're about to perish. And so he comes out. He steps out on the bow of the ship and in three words just calms the storm. Peace, be still. And the storm that was about to just destroy them just ceased. Mm. And here's what hit me a, a few years ago as I was reading the story and it came back to me for this message that, you know, Jesus didn't just steal the storm that day for the disciples and those in his boat. But the other little ships that Mark clued us in on that were there with them, that they were in the same sea, they were in the storm too. Yeah. And when Jesus calmed the storm for the disciples, he calmed the storm for every little boat that was on that sea that day. That's a beautiful picture of Christianity today. It's not just about those that are in your boat. And sometimes you may be going through a storm. You don't know why. God may have you in the middle of a storm right now because we need, Father's Day, I'll say it this way. We need men of God yeah. who know how to touch God yeah. in moments where there's storms. And God may have you in the storm right now. He may use you to calm the storm for somebody else. Or he may have somebody else set up to calm the storm for you in those moments when you don't know how to get to God on the behalf of your family or whatever you're going through. It's bigger than just you and those around you. God can calm the storm. Amen? He needs men of God who are, who are willing or who, are, or who can just touch God and just pray the storm away. Mm. Maybe, maybe, for, maybe in our country, maybe there's some storms we're facing right now as a country that they, they just need to go away. 
And the ones that were in the other ships, watch this, they went to their graves never knowing what happened to the storm that day. Wow. It just ended. The disciples knew that Jesus calmed the storm, but the others just knew that they were in a storm and then it was gone. Yeah. That's just a beautiful picture of who God is. I, I, often we have this idea that we need to get back. Like, man, if I could just, if we could just get back to the good old days, yeah. right? You know, give me that old time religion. What was the song you were singing? Take me back. Yeah, yeah there Take it is. Me and back I, I have heard Lord. that song. I really, I really have heard that song. My children Tell have never heard that song because uh, they don't play it on air one. So, um, <laughs> but, but I, but I do intentionally, and we'll get back to this. I do intentionally play hymns for them you know some of those good I, you grew up at UPC I grew up in a little missionary Baptist church on Shreveport Road and then First Baptist Church so we used to sing things like on a hill far away come on you know that one and my kids are like daddy you make that up like that yeah baby I made that up baby I wrote that, that. good yeah it's just lit we're gonna learn it together now so we have this idea like if there was a certain time period or a certain church style that we could get back to. Often, uh, this generation likes to point to the 60s. Well, the 60s when everything went south, right? So like the, the revolution that took place there, if we could just get back to the, to the 50s, you know, like when Dick Van Dyke wouldn't even lay in the same bed as Mary Tyler Moore. Like they had separate beds on the, that's on the Dick Van Dyke show. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, you can go look that up later. Um, Never mind. So they were there. That's maybe the idea that we have. And I've heard this idea. You know, it was just a better time. That was just a better time. Well, not, not for people like Pastor Letitia, it wasn't. Not for her brother, it wouldn't have been. Uh, not for the interracial couples in our church whom we love and, and celebrate um, as biblical covenant marriage I mean how far back do we need to go because in the 50s is actually 1953 when uh, Hugh Hefner launched a magazine called Playboy which was not part of the 60s but a precursor to the 60s it was actually in the 50s where 57,000 people contracted polio I'm good on that by the way um, it was, in, it was in 1954, maybe you've heard of this one, uh, this popular court case called the, the, the Court Case of Brown versus the Board of Education. This is kind of a big one in our country at that time. Uh, that case led to the Little Rock Nine. I don't know if you remember that. We don't like to talk about stuff like that. Um, the Little Rock Nine was when nine African-American children, this is how you know your, your nation's messed up, is when, when people start persecuting children. Uh, when nine African-American children tried to attend school and they had to be escorted in by the United States National Guard, 1950s. And then, by the way, there's that 1959 when Fidel Castro came into power in Cuba, uh, which ultimately led to the Cuban Missile Crisis where we were 13 days and one button away from World War Three, so uh, man, I'm good. I'm good on going back to the '50s. Some people are like, "Well, we go back to the '50s without the racism." <laughs> well, it wasn't the '50s without the racism, so you can't just. Well, maybe we need to go back to the 1850s 
Again, we have a lot of people in our church who wouldn't be welcome today. That worship song we just sang, we'd have never heard it if we go back. Because those people would have never been free to write those songs. It's, it's a romanticized idea to remember how great things used to be. What the church needs today is the same thing that those people needed in the middle of that storm on that day. By the way, I want you to notice that Jesus didn't have to get through the storm to experience peace. He didn't have to get to the other side to rest. Jesus had the capacity to experience peace in the middle of the problem. Jesus had the capacity to give the answer in the middle of the persecution. And the disciples knew well enough that it wasn't about them becoming woke. If you don't understand that joke, ask somebody younger than you. Uh, it wasn't about them becoming woke. It was about them waking up the Savior. It was about them recognizing the authority that the one in the boat had to offer. And when they woke Jesus up, when they recognized that they were still one people under one Savior, everybody else around them experienced peace. Amen. I'm woke. I'm awake. I'm not sleeping. So I, I think that's. Uh, I, I will. I'll address this from the from the standpoint of the church again, because I'm I'm a church baby, right? My dad was a pastor. I grew up in church. My very first earliest memory in life is sleeping under under the pew at a UPC. Our our services lasted long time, y'all. We were at lunch. Yeah, we 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 just went on and on. We had to. We, I won't go there. We. I, yeah. So. And I think, so I can say this because I'm a church, but I, there's never been a, a phase in my life where there was nothing, there was, there was no church. I was, I'm, I, I grew up around it. I'm still, I mean, it's, so I'll address it this way. I think for years, um, there's been this contradiction. Like the people on the outside looking in have seen a contradiction from the church on some of the issues. Yeah. As the church, we've, we've took the stance of God's word. We've stood on God's word for, for, for most issues, but then there's, there's some that we just allowed religion and tradition and upbringing and culture to influence. Like where, where did the church ever come up with the idea that interracial marriages were sin? Yeah. I mean, that's religion. Yeah. And the difference between religion and relationship Religion draws lines. Religion separates. Religion causes confusion. And these, when you see that, the, the contradiction, it's a, re, it's, a, it's a result of religion, not relationship. And the whole foundation of Christianity, of being Christ-like, is relationship to the Father. Relationship with God. Walking in relationship with Him. See, religion is a very slippery slope that leads to self-righteousness. Come on, somebody. And self-righteousness, stay with me for here for a moment, is a long road that gets narrower the longer you stay on it. And right on the side of the road of self-righteousness is a very deep ditch called arrogance. And the longer you stay on the road of, of self-righteousness, it gets so narrow that eventually it's going to force you into the ditch called arrogance. Religion leads to self-righteousness, which leads to arrogance. And there's no place for either of those in the kingdom. I don't want to get back to anything but God's word. That's right. I, I want to move forward. The, the, the purpose of pointing backwards were to say, even if you were born in the 50s, you weren't born for the 50s because the 50s is over. Whatever year you were born in, you were born for this year. 
God put you in your workplace. God put you at this time period. He has positioned the church to have the answer for all the issues in this society. The words of Jesus, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The only choice that we really have is moving forward in Christ or moving forward apart from Christ and looking like what he wanted us to look like. The idea that original sin began in the garden is actually not as biblical as we may think. The original sin sin was not committed by the man and the woman in the garden. The original sin, original sin was committed by Lucifer and a third of heaven in the kingdom of God. So it's always been a rebellion against the kingdom of God that led to the fall of anyone that tried to come against the kingdom of God. The original sin, by the way, if I had time to explicate this properly, the original sin was pride and it was by Lucifer. It's the most demonic spiritual thing that you can be and become. It's the one thing that God cannot save. Have you ever noticed how easy it was for the Holy Spirit to forgive David's adultery and yet Saul, because of his pride, was left out of the line? Pride doesn't just come before the fall. That's an, a, a mentality that comes from taking an entire scripture and making it one. We've heard pride comes before the fall. Just discussing this, the longer you're on that road, the more likely you are to fall off of that road. But when you fall off of the road of pride, it's not just like a recover from these injuries. The Bible says pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. As I said, religion, religion draws lines, and, and the only people that Jesus ever openly rebuked, when you read through the Gospels, like he was face-to-face with a woman caught in the very act of adultery. Yeah. He showed her compassion. He was face-to-face with people who were possessed with demons, and he showed them love. He showed them compassion. But the religious folks, like the ones that prayed louder than everybody else, the boisterous, the loud praying scribes and Pharisees, the ones who made sure that everybody saw before they put their offering in the plate how much they were giving, the ones who wanted to be recognized for being, those are the ones that Jesus openly rebuked. In fact, I love this. Romans 2.11 says this, for there is no respect of persons with God. That's what we need to remember. That's the King James Version, right? Everybody that goes to church here knows me. I'm the KJV guy. KJV with the ribbon bookmark. bookmark. Uh, so I'm a King James Version guy. I love the King James. That's my version, but I digress here because I, yeah, you got the ribbon bookmark. The Amplified Bible says it this way. For God shows no partiality. Yeah. No arbitrary favoritism. With him, one person is not more important than the other. And I don't think it can get any plainer than that. See, what we've got to realize, if we're going to, move, if we're going to get this right, we have to be Christ-like. We have to be like Jesus. And Jesus just loved. And then there were people involved. Mm, that'll, that'll sink in in a minute. He just loved Jews, Samaritans, Greeks, Gentiles. Black, white, Asian, Latin, it didn't matter. Jesus didn't see color. He loved people. And we, gotta, we, have to, we, can't, we can't continue to stand on the word of God only when it fits our narrative. But go against it when it doesn't. We, it, can't, it can't be about our culture and our upbringing. We can't make the word of God line up with our belief system. But we have to let our, make our belief system line up with the word of God. 
If you listen to Air One and you have to get up early enough to listen in the morning when it's Dan and Michelle in the mornings, you would have heard this. But I heard this on Air One. I wanted to tell you about it. It's an illustration. This little girl is sitting on her grandpa's lap and she, she reaches up and she rubs her grandpa's face and she traces the deep crevices and the wrinkles in his face and thinks for a minute and says, Grandpa, did God make you? He said, yes, pumpkin. God made me just a very long time ago. And so she rubbed her little face and thought for a minute and then asked Grandpa, did Grandpa, did God make me? He said, yes, sweetheart, he made you just a little while ago. She rubbed her respective faces again and thought for a moment longer and said, Grandpa, God's getting much better at it, isn't he? <laughs> you know, I heard that and I laughed like you did, but then something hit me and I thought, you know, this has been going on in the religious ranks for a very long time. Yeah. Like grown Americans, Christians, have looked at themselves and said, man, God did a much better job when he made me than when he made them. That's religion moving God's line. God draws the line. Religion moves God's line, then calls it God's new line, jumps on the other side of the line, and then condemns you for not being on the right side of God's line. That's religion, self-righteousness, and arrogance. Where, where this generation compromises, the next generation will be condemned. Some of you have heard me preach that before. It's so important. Now, look, we're not just talking. I'm talking about impurity. I'm talking about envy. I'm talking about comparison. I'm, I'm talking about greed. I'm talking about a lack of leadership by God's people. I, I, I'm talking certainly about prejudice and, and racism. And we're not even getting in today into this whole critical race theory and whether it's new age Nazism or communism. And, and then over here on the other end of the spectrum is, is white fragility. And there shouldn't even be two white men up here trying to celebrate Juneteenth and Father's Day. I'm not messing with all of that because none of those things are the solution. My Savior is the solution. And as long as I stick with Him, then He will show me how to connect to them. Where this generation compromises, the next generation will be condemned. And I refuse to be the reason that my children are condemned. I refuse to be the reason that the next generation suffers from the compromise that I could have taken care of. God is no respecter of persons. He shows no partiality. The conclusion of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 17 says, He brought this good news. That's the good news of the gospel, right? The abundant life that God has for all of us. Every color, every creed, every demographic, every ethnicity, every sin, every desire. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were supposedly near. Verse 18, now, now all of us can come to the Father through the same all of us can come to the Father, come on, the one Father that we ought to actually celebrate every Father's Day without offense, 
Because you can't be offended and anointed to accomplish God's will. Those two things don't go hand in hand. Now, because of what Jesus did, this is who we are. All of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Whether it fits the narrative that I wanted to hear. Whether it fits the offense of my previous upbringing. I am not going to be stuck in my past when I know what Jesus paid for. I'm going to look to him in the present and be led by him into the future because what God has for tomorrow is even greater than what he did yesterday. That is the one savior that we serve, but that's our responsibility. Right. Uh, you know, if we're going to get this right, and I believe that we have to, again, we need to, then it, then it starts with the home and the family unit. We've, we put enough blame on the church for not getting it right. Let's, 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 let's narrow it down. Let's get, let's get it home. Dads, let's talk about us. And if it, starts, if it starts with a family unit, it starts with a home, then it starts with me. Wow. Because in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, God established the man. He, he created Adam first for a reason. And he, create, he, he established the man as the spiritual leader of the home, the household, the head. And so if it starts with a family unit then it starts with me and I get to say this because Pastor Chris said it would sound better coming from me he, he, he didn't want to say it you might you might get you put it in your notes <laughs> I've read it from what you wrote the family unit is not is not an extension of the church follow me here the church is an extension of the family unit yeah God created the family long before he did the church that's so good and dads I'm talking to me too here it's tough I'm gonna pick up your toes I'll step on them it is not the church's responsibility to teach your kids the Word of God. Wow. It's not. This is a support system. They have to learn it at home, and then when they get here, Pastor Lydia and everybody else around here, we're going to reinforce yes. what they've already learned at home. Wow. So it all meshes and works together. Deuteronomy chapter 11 is a, is a commandment from God to parents when he says, teach your children the word of God. Yes. In the morning when you get up, when you rise up, in the evening when you lay down, when you sit at the dinner table, when you're walking by the way, he said, write it over the doorposts of your home and over the gates of your of your your." your community wherever you are but he said you have to teach the word of god fathers have been silent in the home for too long i'll give you an example this started this goes way back it goes way back to genesis in the creation in the beginning and this is an issue in my home okay i've dealt with this and i'm not going to embarrass clay because he's just he's just like me in a lot of ways there's there's moments when i just kind of clam up when i should be speaking i get silent and my wife's sitting over there in the chair looking at me like, ain't you going to say something? Like, she will, she will call me out. It's time for you to speak up. Because I've been at home, I've been at work all day, and I'm tired, and I want to get home and eat dinner, get a cup of coffee, and watch some College World Series. And things arise in my home that I need to deal with, and I clam up. And I dealt with Clay, this with Clay just the other day. I was like, bro, you can't clam up right now and speak. Like, say something. And I'm not embarrassing him. He's, he's good. He's my son. It's hard to embarrass me. But watch this. God created Adam, Adam, put him in the garden, and said, dress it and keep it. And he gave him commandment. He said, of every tree in the garden, you may freely eat. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat of it. The day that you do, you're surely going to die. Mm. Gave Adam that. 
And God created him. Adam never, he never had childhood. He never grew up through the phases of life. He never had to learn how to put syllables together. God created him, and when he breathed breath into Adam's lungs, he had the ability at that moment to articulate. He could enunciate just at that moment. It's so much so that God said, I'm just going, man, you're so good at it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you name the animals. Yeah. And so pff, giraffe, elephant, uh, horse. Then he creates Eve, brings her out, and Adam goes, whoa, man, and we have woman. <laughs> so he had, he had the ability to articulate. But watch this. In the moments of the most important moment, Adam didn't say a word. Wow. And that's when the serpent went to Eve and convinced her to eat of the tree that God said not to eat of. And then the Bible simply says this. She ate, and then she brought it to her husband, and he did eat. And at that moment, I'm just like, guy, you're about to make the history books here. You're about to go down in history as the guy who caused the human race to be eternally separated from God and need reconciliation back to them. This is the moment yeah. to speak up. And Adam says not a word. We've been silent for too long. It's time for men to assume the responsibility in the home that God has given us, and that is the spiritual leader of our household. And I'm going to let you ladies off the hook. We blamed Eve for too long. It is my opinion that Eve was not to blame for the first sin. It was 100% Adam's fault. Go, go ahead. I got two ladies. I knew I'd get a few ladies right there. Watch on, this. This. Is a, this is so big. You have to hone in right here. Follow me. Genesis 2, 16 and 17 says this. The funny. Lord God commanded the man hmm. of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt need a, not eat of it. The day that you do, you will surely die. That's verse 16 and 17. God didn't create Eve until verse 22. Wow. She was not even there when God gave Adam the instructions but if you read on in verse 3, when the serpent comes to her, to her she, she repeats the instructions, which tells me that Adam told her what God told him. Mm. He spoke at that moment. He didn't speak up at this moment. See, we got to get it right, guys. Mm. We can't just tell it. we got to live it. Yeah. And God created, and here's, this is my opinion. But what's interesting is when the, when the serpent came to Eve, convinced her to eat of the fruit, and then she gave it to Adam. Verse 3 of chapter 7 says this, at that time, then. So when Eve ate of the fruit, the Bible does not say that her eyes were opened and she saw that she was naked. But when she brought it to Adam and he ate, then the Bible says, and then their, the eyes of them both were opened and they saw that they were naked. Mm. This just proves my point that it was Adam's, I believe, that as the head of the household, the spiritual leader of the home, if Adam would have spoken up at that moment, even after Eve had partaken of the forget, forbidden fruit, if Adam would have stood up and said, this is not happening. I'm going to take a stint. God said not to do it. And if he had spoken up, I believe God would have withheld his judgment because it was Adam's responsibility to lead his home. Wow. Hey, ladies, by the way, God totally skipped over that process and 
to help you understand that you weren't created to need leadership. You were created for companionship. And so just as we see in the New Testament, when man did not live up to the call of God, God came in and skipped over the man. He put himself in the woman's womb and he birthed righteousness apart from the man so that today you don't need a man to fulfill the purpose of God for your life because you're connected to the man. He's father to the fatherless, father to the faithless, father to the fallen, and the only one that you need is the one who came and paid for everything that you thought you needed. So you don't need undue attention. Come on, you don't need undue affection. And he can't be for you what only Jesus is supposed to be for you. And until you learn how to lean on the one that can be, you never will be able to lean into the one that should be. And that's just preaching right there for you to understand who you are in him. I was asked one time, where would you guys be if it weren't for us women? I responded in take. Probably naked in the garden, not eating the fruit we were told not to. <laughs> Just a little, little son's day humor for you. Maybe a little pride. <laughs> little son's day. But, 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 the, but the truth is, if we would have repented in that moment, we'd probably still be there. But when God came to the man and asked, what have you done? The man responded the same thing we respond today. It was the woman. Go read it. Instead of accepting responsibility for his sin, which nobody's real good at, by the way. Instead of accepting responsibility for his sin, he hid. By the way, he drug her along with him. He hid. He covered himself. And then when God asked him what he did, again, still giving him an opportunity to repent, instead of repenting and accepting responsibility for what he had done, Adam blamed the woman and then, watch this, it was the woman you gave me. He blamed God. See, our real issue is not prejudice, racism, or borders, or red or blue Republican or Democrat by the way you're still supposed to love one another in election years I'm just saying you don't think the enemy's excited about 2024 he sees an opportunity to divide not just this nation in half but he has the ability to divide the house of God when we get stuck on democracy over divinity. We have a responsibility. What's the responsibility? To make the right choice. You've heard the question before, why did God even put that tree in the garden? Like, why did he even give him a choice? Well, the simple answer to that, I'm about to help some people that like to discuss theology and have conversations with people that don't believe in God. Why God even put that tree in the garden? Because if it's not chosen, it's not love. Like if I went back to being a caveman and took a club and bashed my girl over the head and made her my wife, that's not love. That's why we quit doing that. Because that and somebody got killed in their sleep. They're like, man, I don't know if you heard what happened. (laughs) 
It's only love if she chooses me. It's only love if you choose to be the bride of Christ. It's not love when it's forced. That's a simple answer to that. Another question that I responded to recently was, man, why didn't Adam say something? Why did he stand right there and stay silent? To which I would respond, I don't know. Why has the church stayed silent on so many issues for so long? Why have we been so satisfied with less than God's best for the life that he's called us to live? In so many areas, purity, unity. By the way, if something's not absolutely integrated, it's because of racism. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we don't have a lot of churches that are absolutely integrated. You know why? Because of what we haven't attended to. My question, whenever that question was asked of me, why didn't Adam speak up? Like, why didn't he say something? It was my question. Why did Adam even let that tree stay in the garden? God told him, you can't have it. God told him, you can have, Jesus came to give life and give it in abundance. We've said that several times today. Jesus came so that you could have all kinds of stuff. You could operate in all kinds of authority. But there are some specific things that he said, you cannot do this. Because if you do this, you cannot have this. So my question is, why did Adam leave the one thing God said you can't have sitting in that garden and expose his family to that failure? You pointed this out to me. It was the woman that told the serpent, you shall not eat of it, you shall not even touch it. God never said that. Adam told her that. God said, you shall not eat of it. I feel like God fully expected Adam to go cut that thing down and burn it to its root so that it didn't get to exist in his house. So that his wife and his children never had access to the one thing that God said he can't have. So here's my question this weekend. What's in your garden? What are we allowing to exist on our cell phones? What are we allowing to exist coming through our televisions? Here's how we said it. It's honestly the reason that we kept this set up this way today. We have to be careful because What's in your living room will get in your life. The Lord told me at one point whenever I moved here, what you allow in my house, I'll allow in yours. That's how much responsibility I've put on you. I can't compromise. Because I understand that we reap what we sow and it's nobody else's fault but ours. So this Sunday, guys, there are a couple of different types of whistles on the back. If you get the ones in the package, it has like a little thermostat. It's in Celsius. You'll have to learn how to convert that in your head. I think we got it from overseas. Uh, <laughs> then on the other side, it's a compass, and it, and it has like letters we understand on it. And then there's some, if you don't want that, there's just this whistle. The idea our staff came up with was we had this idea of the Titanic as it was sinking. And here in a few weeks, they're going to they're gonna sound that alarm again. They're going to sound that whistle. As the Titanic was seeking, they were blowing the whistle on the top of the boat. The people that were floating out in the sea, in order to be found and saved, they had to blow the whistle. 
A few years back, you may remember the story, some of the whistleblowers that arose in the CIA to expose some of the things that everybody else wanted to keep secret. Listen to me, men and women. It's time that we blow the whistle on the things that don't line up with God's word. It's time that we blow the whistle of salvation in the face of sin and separation. It's time that we blow the whistle on the things that do not belong in our cell phone, in our lives, in our hearts, in our desires, in our living room, in our homes, in our habits. Somebody has got to blow the whistle of sanctification because the Bible still says that without holiness, no man shall see God. And in holiness, which his name is still Jesus, it always has been it always will be in holiness his entire family can be redeemed remember the one man's sin Romans chapter 5 says because of one man's sin many were made evil but because of one man one man's obedience many were made righteous somebody step up and be the one man that would lead to redemption in that house lead to redemption in that community lead to redemption in that denomination we got to blow the whistle and stop letting sin repeat itself generation to generation because it will only get worse if somebody doesn't blow the whistle.